0: Each one of us values freedom, but not all freedoms are equally valuable, right? For example, if you want to think of it this way, you have the freedom to drink as many soft drinks as you want to drink. That's not that valuable of a freedom because how important is it really to be able to drink a bunch of soft drinks? I mean, I'm glad I can. But it's not that important. It's not as valuable as freedom to speak, for example. Freedom from tyrannical government is very valuable because a tyrannical government can keep you from making fundamental choices about your life, your family, your religion, things that are extremely important. Freedom from slavery is even more valuable. Because if you are enslaved to someone, then virtually all of your freedom all of your autonomy is taken away. And you are accounted as someone else's property. But there is a freedom that's even greater than all of these. It's a freedom that's even more valuable, not only because it can be enjoyed while lacking those other freedoms. You can have it even if you are under a tyrannical government, even if you are enslaved. But it's also more valuable because it lasts far longer and delivers from a much worse form of slavery. One at work not only on our bodies, but also on our souls and even in our very hearts. Now, to say that there's a, uh, a form of slavery that's even worse than physical slavery or worse than being under a tyrannical government is not to say that those are not serious evils, because they are. But it shouldn't be shocking to us or surprising to us that there is a worse form of slavery or oppression than those, at least not if we believe that there's such a thing as heaven and hell if you believe that the consequences of sin can be eternal, if you're not forgiven, if you don't receive salvation from Christ, if you know that those things are true, then you know that there is something worse than lacking freedoms in this life. You lack freedom in the life to come forever that would be even worse, right? Let let me, let me put it like this. Which one of these would be worse? To live in America with all of our freedoms but die an unbeliever? Or to live in some place like China or Iran where you have very little freedom and yet die as a Christian? Which one of those would be worse? Which one of those would you rather be true of you? Now, of course, I'd rather live in America and die a Christian, right? I mean, that would be the best of both. But if you had to choose, which one would you choose? Which one would be worse? Which one would be better? I mean, if you're a Christian and you believe the Bible, it's not not even a hard question. Because we're weighing something that happens in this life for a brief amount of time versus something that happens for eternity. To suffer in this life a lack of freedom from tyranny, a lack of freedom from slavery even perhaps, would be a real hardship, a real evil, not minimizing it. But it would not be nearly as bad as dying without the freedom that comes to those who believe in Christ. Freedom from sin. Freedom from death. Freedom from hell. I say all that so that we don't misunderstand what Jesus says in John chapter 8 about freedom. If we don't recognize the kind of freedom he's talking about, the context of the freedom that he's speaking of, it's easy to misunderstand and misapply what Jesus is saying. But if we pay attention to his words and to his context, it's clear what Jesus is saying. It's clear what Jesus means. And it's clear how important his words are for us, not only to understand, but to believe. So here's what Jesus says in John chapter 8, beginning in verse 31. And I'll read down to verse 47. It says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Our attention. Verse 30, right before our passage, says that many people believed in Jesus at that time. And verse 31 says that Jesus is speaking to those who believed in him. And what does he say to the people who have already believed? He says, If you abide in my word, abide's not a word we use a whole lot, it just means to remain or to stay. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Wait a minute. Isn't believing in Jesus enough to make you one of Jesus' disciples? I mean, hasn't that been John's point? All through this gospel, that all we have to do is believe in Jesus. We just have to receive Him. We believe in Him. We don't have to do any works. It doesn't matter you know, what family we come from or any of that. We just have to believe in Jesus. Even if we have sinned greatly, if we turn to Jesus, that, that's all we need, right? So, is Jesus changing that on us? Is he adding something to this? No. What is he saying? He's telling us what the rest of the Bible tells us too, which is that there are different kinds of believing. And not every kind of believing is the saving kind. Not every kind of believing is the real kind. For example, James, in James chapter 2, says... Okay, you believe that there is one God. That's good. Guess who else believes that? The demons. And they shudder. So believing that there is one God, I mean, that's good, but that doesn't make you a Christian. And James goes on to say, believing, having faith, but not having works, not doing good deeds that come from that faith... What kind of faith is that? It's dead. Dead faith won't do you any good. Jesus is saying the same kind of thing. Okay, you've believed in me now. You've come to believe that I'm the Messiah, the Savior, and you you want to follow me. That's good. If you stick with me, if you keep following me, then you're really my disciples. Now, part of the reason I think Jesus says this is because not that long ago, back in chapter 6, a whole bunch of people who had been following Jesus heard him say some hard things and said, never mind, I'm out. I'm not following Jesus anymore. What do we make of that? It's the same thing that Jesus said when he told the parable of the soils. You know, the sower goes out to to sow seed and he casts the seed on different kinds of soil. Some falls uh, along the path and it gets gobbled up. Some falls on rocky soil. It springs up for a little while, but when the sun comes, it burns it up. Some falls uh, where it grows up among thorns. Eventually the thorns choke it out, things like... You know, riches and the cares of this world Uh, people get concerned about other things and chokes it out and then some falls on good soil and it grows up and produces fruit, 30, 60, 100 fold, which means this there are some people who hear the gospel they hear the, the good news sown and they don't respond at all, they're like those where the seed fell along the path before anything good can come of them hearing it, it's gone In one ear and out the other. But there are other people who hear it and have an initial response. Some some sign of growth. I I like the sound of that. I like these people. I like this message I'm hearing. This sounds pretty good. But for one reason or another, before they bear any real fruit, they burn up and they're gone. They had a response. But it wasn't one that lasted. It wasn't one that bore fruit. Jesus is saying to those who have recently believed in him, if you stick with me, if you remain in my word, if you keep doing what I say, then you will prove to really be my disciples. Because there are people who look like like my disciples for a little while, but eventually they bail, which means they weren't ever really my disciples in the first place. Because if you believe in Jesus if you believe He's the Messiah, if you believe He's the Son of God, and you believe you need Him, because you're a sinner and He's the Savior, because He's God and you're not, then here are two things you know are going to happen. One is, Jesus is occasionally going to say things that don't sit well with you, that you don't immediately agree with, or you don't immediately like. Why? Because he's different than you. He's not broken like you and I are. He's not a sinner like you and I are. We're going to get out of sorts sometimes. We're going to have the wrong priorities sometimes. We're going to want to do the wrong thing sometimes. And Jesus is going to say, that's not the way we do it. And you're not going to like it. You know that's going to happen. But here's the second thing you know. You know that whenever there's a conflict between you and Jesus, that Jesus is always going to be the one who's right. Right? So you're going to be committed to sticking with him even when he says things that you don't like. People that bail on Jesus when he says something they don't like prove they didn't really believe he was who he said he was in the beginning. That's what he's saying. He's not adding works to faith as a part of our salvation. He's saying, here's what real faith looks like. Here's what real belief looks like. doesn't mean you'll never wander. doesn't mean you'll never question. I mean, Peter went toe-to-toe with Jesus and told him he was wrong. But Peter didn't bail. He denied him. But he came back. Not saying you won't hit some rough patches. Not saying you won't wander. But if you say, never mind, then you never were. You never really believed in the first place. That's what Jesus is saying. True disciples stick with Jesus. They abide in his word. And then here's what happens for them. Verse 32. If you do that, he says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. What does that mean? What truth are they going to know? Well, we could say they'll know the truth about Jesus. right? Who he really is. We could say they'll know the truth about themselves. right? That they need Jesus. But more fundamentally than that, they will know the truth because Jesus is the truth, right? He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus is the truth. He is the embodiment of truth. There is no truth apart from Him. If you follow Him, if you abide in Him, if you believe in Him, you will know Him and knowing Him means knowing the truth. And the truth, Jesus will set you free. Now, at this point, some of those he's talking to begin to push back on him. It's an indication that at least some of those he's talking to don't believe, as we're going to see him in a moment. Because they say, hold on, time out. We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say, you will become free? Because Jesus says, stick with me, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they don't say, oh good, I need some freedom, I need some truth. They say, well, well, wait a minute, who told you I was enslaved to anything I needed to be free from? Don't forget which family I come from, I'm a child of Abraham. We've never been enslaved Why are you talking about needing to be free? Well, let's think about that for a minute. Have the offspring of Abraham ever been enslaved? Yes. Remember that little thing called the Exodus that happened? It was because they were slaves in Egypt. That's the the defining moment of their history. Their ancestors were enslaved. And then later, after they had lived in the promised land for a long time, they had to leave again. They were sent into exile because they had sinned against God. And when God brought them back into the promised land, even then, in the book of Nehemiah, in Nehemiah 9, it says, Behold, we are slaves this day. In the land that you gave to our fathers to enjoy its fruit and its good gifts, behold, we are slaves. So even as they've come back from exile, back into the promised land, they're still saying, we're enslaved here. And we can say, well, maybe that's not what they're talking about. Maybe they're talking about, in the past, maybe we were enslaved, but not now. Well, are they enslaved at this time? You can make a pretty good case that they are. Alright, at least... Uh, one scholar has pointed out their conditions under the Romans not that different. From, are they free? They're certainly not free. They may not feel completely like slaves but they don't have freedom, they don't have autonomy they can't rule themselves, they can't do what they want they've got Roman soldiers all over the place they've got a Roman governor overseeing everything that happens there they're not nearly as free. As they think they are. And yet, that's not even what Jesus is talking about. What is Jesus talking about? Jesus says in verse 34 Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. I'm not talking about setting you free from Rome, I'm not merely talking about making your physical life here and now better. I'm talking about something deeper. I'm talking about something more significant, more fundamental. I'm talking about slavery to sin, Jesus says, which you are all under and which I can free you from. Because he says everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. If you are living in sin, if that's your habit, that's your practice, you're enslaved to it. Somebody has said, you know, if somebody somebody were to claim, I'm not enslaved to sins, I just choose to do it. Okay, choose not to do it. Show me how you choose to love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. That's the fundamental commandment of the law. Can you do that? Show me how you love your neighbor as yourself. Choose to do that if you can. Outside of Jesus, you can't. If Jesus does not set you free, you're not free from the clutches of sin. The whole New Testament is really clear about this. Peter talks about this in in 2 Peter 2. He's talking about false teachers who come into the church. And he says, They promised them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. Whatever is dominating your life, whatever is ruling your life, that's what you're enslaved to. Paul says it. In his letter to Titus, he says, We ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Before we were saved, Paul says, we were slaves to our passions and desires. We were driven by just whatever we wanted to do. Paul also says in Romans six that everyone's a slave of something. It's like that you know that Bob Dylan song, "Everybody's gonna serve somebody." It's the truth. Jesus said it right. No one can serve two masters. You can serve one, hate the other, or vice versa. Paul says the same thing in Romans six. He says, "Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey?" Either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. He goes on to say you can be a slave of sin or you can be a slave of God. Those are your two choices. But you can't be a slave of God until you've been set free from your slavery to sin. We tend to think of sin in terms of freedom. Right? If I'm living in sin, that means I'm doing whatever I want I feel free. But it's an illusion. It's not true. How many things in this world promise freedom when actually they really offer slavery? Now, I'm going to say something that's going to hurt me a little bit. It might hurt some of you a little bit. We're just going to, have to say, ouch, okay? How much freedom does that smartphone promise? So much. Who sometimes feels like a slave to that dumb phone? Right? Promises freedom. Actually ends up feeling like slavery. There's so many things in the world like that. If you try this, if you do this, if you go here, man, I promise you freedom like you've never known. Next thing you know, you can't get out of it you know you're not going to be able to escape without help, without some serious effort, without somebody rescuing you. You can't get out of whatever that slavery is on your own. You can be enslaved to pleasure, like Paul said. You can be enslaved to lie. Because the more lies you tell, the more lies you have to tell to keep up with the lies you're already told. You mean slave to anger. You feel in control when you're angry? No? So, while the Jews were protesting, we ought to willingly admit, yes, we have been slaves. Yes, we need someone to set us free. Yes, we need you to... Release us from the slavery that we're in. So here's what Jesus says about who can set you free. He says, verse 35, The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. If you're a slave, you can be sold, transferred, set aside, whatever. The son is the heir. He's the permanent fixture in the house. He's going to be there forever. And in Jesus' case as the son, it's even more true because he's the eternal son of God. He's really not going anywhere. The son is there forever. The son remains forever. So he says, if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. If the son releases you from your slavery, then who can ever reverse the son's decision? Because the son's not ever going to leave. There's never going to be somebody else in charge later after the son who says, oh, I reverse his decision. Now you're enslaved again. No, the son is going to be there forever, and the son's decisions cannot be reversed. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, Paul says. No fear for those who are in him. No going back on his promises. If the son sets you free, you will be free Indeed. Now he says, I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. What's that all about? Are they offspring of Abraham? Yes and no. Are they physically descended from Abraham? Yes, of course. They are. Jesus knows that. Jesus acknowledges that. But there's more going on with them that they don't understand, that they need to understand in order to recognize how desperately they need Jesus. So Jesus says, I speak of what I have seen with my father and you do what you have heard from your father. Say, there's, there's, a, there's a gap between us. There's a distinct difference between us. We don't have the same father. That's why we're acting differently. So they say, wait a minute. Verse 39. They answered him, Abraham is our father. If you're saying you have a different father, does that mean Abraham's not your father? Are you saying you're not a Jew? What are you claiming? Because we know who we are. Well, not so fast. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, notice the if, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are not children of Abraham in the sense that is most important. You you don't have the like father, like son thing going on with Abraham. You might be physically descended from him. But that doesn't count for a whole lot. What matters is, do you do what Abraham did? Do you believe like Abraham believed? You go back through the stories in Genesis. You got Cain and Abel. Two very different sons. Two very different actions. Two very different paths. That continues. Abraham has Isaac. Isaac has Jacob and Esau. Again, two very different sons, very different trajectories. Just because you're descended from Abraham doesn't mean that you're going to be like Abraham, that you're going to inherit the promises God made to Abraham, that you're going to receive the salvation that God gave to Abraham. So Jesus says, You're not really Abraham's offspring. Because you're trying to kill me. And that's not the kind of thing that Abraham did. So instead he says, you're doing the works your father did. So they said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. What are you talking about? We're, what do you mean we're doing what our father did? Our father is God. Mm, now they've really overreached. That's definitely not true, Jesus says. And here's how I know it. It says, if God were your father, you would love me because I came from God. If you were on God's side, you would be on my side because I'm here on God's behalf. God sent me for you. You're trying to kill me. It's not real hard to figure out whose side you're on. And it's not God's. So whose side are you on? Verse 44, you are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. See, here's the thing that's happening all through the Bible. John talked about this in our scripture reading earlier in 1 John 3. Right? You've got two options. You've got people who love God and love their brother. And you've got people who hate God and hate their brother. You can be like Cain, or you can be like Abel. Those are your options. Ever since the beginning in Genesis, here's what God said in Genesis 3.15. He said that there would be hostility between the offspring of the woman, the children who came from Eve, and the offspring of the serpent, which is Satan. Now, Satan didn't have any babies. So, how are there offspring of Satan. He's not talking about offspring in a literal sense. He's talking about the people who join Satan in their opposition to God and his people. They're Satan's offspring. That's why Jesus can say, you are children of the devil. That's what he's saying. You're like Cain. Cain was an offspring of Satan because he killed his brother. You are not acting like Abraham who was a genuine offspring of the woman, because he believed God's promise. He looked for the coming of the Messiah. He trusted God. You're not doing that. You're acting more like Cain, because you're trying to kill the one that God sent. Now, they need to know that, so that they can accept God's offer. So that they will know how much they need what Jesus was promising at the beginning of this passage. Until you know you're lost, you don't know you need to be saved. Until you know you're a slave, you don't know you need to be set free. If you're still living in sin thinking it feels like freedom, you need to hear Jesus say that the reality is you are enslaved and only I can set you free before you can even begin to think, maybe I need Jesus. The question you need to ask yourself, if that's the position that you are in, is who is telling you the truth? The promises that have been made to you or that you've made to yourself about what your life would be like if you just do whatever you want has it turned out as great as you thought it would? Is it working as good as you hoped it would? Do you really feel free? Do you feel like you're going to get to the end of your life and say, that was the way to do it? Or are you starting to realize, maybe I missed something. Maybe, Maybe someone pulled one over on me. Maybe what looked like freedom is not really very free. Maybe getting to do whatever I want is not actually the way... I was designed to live. Maybe life's not supposed to be like that. Maybe that's why I've got a trail of broken relationships behind me. Maybe that's why I feel like I'm beating my head against the wall all the time. Maybe that's why I feel so frustrated all the time. Jesus is offering you something nobody else can give you. And he's being honest about it. He is not telling you, follow me and everything will be easy. He is not telling you, follow me and everything about your life will be great. Bank account full, healthy, happy family all the time, no conflict, no problems. He's not promising that. Those things are not as important as those, some of those things can be. They're not nearly as important as what he's promising. I am promising you, he says, Freedom from sin. Freedom from death. I'm promising you life. I'm promising you light. I'm promising you joy. And here's how I can deliver that. Jesus is the light. He is the life. He came into the world and lived a sinless life. The only person who's ever lived totally free from sin. The only reason he could do that is because he's God. But even though He lived His life totally free from sin, He went to the cross to bear our sin. He didn't deserve to die. The wages of sin is death. Why Jesus die? He's got no sin. He died because He's taking our sin upon Himself. But He didn't just die, He rose on the third day. Which means not only did He bear our sin and bear its penalty, He defeated it. He conquered death. He now lives forever. He's risen from the dead. He's at God's right hand. He will never die again. And here's what he's purchased and promised to everyone who believes in him. I will take away your sin because I paid for it. I will set you free from what is really enslaving you because I have the power to do it. And though you will Die in the physical sense, right? Your life will come to an end in this life. I promise you life beyond that. Not only life in my presence spiritually after you die, your soul will go into my presence in heaven. But more than that, one day I'll return. I'll raise you from the dead. I'll give you an immortal body that will never get sick, never wear out, never die again, and you can live with me in a new creation. Experiencing life the way it was meant to be experienced before sin in perfect fellowship with God forever. No mourning, no pain, no death, none of the stuff that messes life up and makes it hard and makes it hurt. All that will be gone and you will dwell in my presence forever with joy. Now don't tell me you don't need that. Don't don't say set me free from what? set you free from this this body that's broken and affected by sin set you free from a life where you pretend to be free but you're actually enslaved set you free from the immobilizing fear of death because if this life is all there is you can't get enough in it's going to be over too fast It's not right. It doesn't feel right. It's not the way it's meant to be. But Jesus says, All right, you believe me, you stick with me, you're really mine. And if you're really mine, you know the truth, because that's me. And the truth will set you free once and for all. Let's pray.